The first reading this morning is from Luke, chapter 14, the first 24 verses, which you'll find on page 82 of the New Testament section of the Bibles in the pew. That's verses 1 to 24 of Luke chapter 14. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. Just then, in front of him, there was a man who had dropsy. And Jesus asked the lawyers and Pharisees, is it lawful to cure people on the Sabbath or not? But they were silent, so Jesus took him and healed him and sent him away. Then he said to them, if one of you has a child or an ox that has fallen into a well, will you not immediately pull it out on a Sabbath day? And they could not reply to this. When he noticed how the guests chose their places of honour, he told them a parable. When you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honour in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you will start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exhort themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exhorted. He said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers, or your relatives, or rich neighbours, in case they may invite you in return, and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you'll be blessed, because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Another parable of the great dinner. One of the dinner guests on hearing this said to him, blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said to him, someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of land. I must go and see it. Please accept my apologies. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please accept my apologies. Another said, I've just been married, therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. And the slave said, Sir, what you ordered has been done and there is still room. Then the master said to the slave, 
go out to the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were, who were invited will taste my dinner. Philippines chapter 3, verses 12 to 21. Pressing towards the goal. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own, because Jesus Christ hath made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us then who are mature be of the same mind. And if you think differently about anything, this too God will reveal to you. Only let us hold fast to what we have attained. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I have often told you of them, and now I tell you, even with tears, their end is destruction, their God is the belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And it is from there that we are expecting a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation so that it may be conformed to the body of his glory by the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. Shall we pray? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, thank you to Dawn and Simon in absence uh, for the invitation to be part of your inclusive church series. And I will be very glad to take the greetings that you extended back to Columpton Baptist Church, uh, the church in which I minister. So, I'm Glenn and I'm 48. I am 20 months off my 50th birthday. Um, if anybody's uh, listening to this in the distant future, I'm, I'm white, I'm bedecked in a suit and tie, so I clearly dress conservatively on Sundays. Uh, I, I'm married, I have, but I'm a pet parent. Six cats and two dogs are not counting. I'm a double graduate, political philosophy and then theology, a working Baptist minister, um, wholesome hobbies, singing, chess, swimming, perhaps for some less wholesome hobbies, a love of real ale and single malt whiskey. Now already all of you will be forming a, what do you mind, I don't know if it's a correct view or not of me, that I'm white, 
middle-aged, and that includes the spread for those who are listening. Uh, and uh, it, white, middle-aged, straight, male, Mr. Privileged, really. Oh, uh, by the way, my eyes don't work at all. And they haven't done since I was born. So immediately, that sentence catapults me from Mr. Average Middle Class Privileged Bloke to He's Disabled. It catapults me into another world. Oh, a big world. I mean, if you were to put all the disabled people in one place, we'd be the third largest people group in the world. A world where that one sentence, oh, by the way, my eyes don't work and they never have, immediately changes how people behave towards me, how people react to me. In fact, whether anybody interacts with me at all. In a recent survey by Scope, of those interviewed, 67% of people admitted they feel uncomfortable talking to a disabled person at all. Isn't that staggering? It must be a similar percentage or higher have even stated they would never employ a disabled person at all. People interact with you differently. Now, I must say, as I look back on my 48 years, I still feel rather privileged. I'm certainly privileged in the visually impaired constituency, for I'm one of the 10 or so percent who have tasted work. About 90% of my peers never ever will because we are considered unemployable. I've been fortunate enough to have um, a good variety of friends over the years. Two universities during my pastorates. I mean, it's because of friendship I'm here today. So eight years ago, when the Baptist Union, or rather uh, Richard Kid, former president or president, former principal of the Northern Baptist College and resident of Whaley Bridge, invited me or invited the Disability Justice Group for me to be chair of it. I was dragged slightly kicking and screaming into this world of disability and inclusion. Why? Because I'd done okay. I had nothing to be angry about. My peers support me. I'm the lucky one, though. And during the eight years that I've been doing this, uh, chairing Churches for All, which is the network of Christian disability charities, involvement with inclusive church, all of that, I've heard so many stories of people for whom 
being disabled is hugely problematic. And that makes me feel easier, in a sense, beating the drum, because I'm not beating it about myself. This is not about me, or my acts, or my community of blind people. It's about me having a loud enough voice to call out for people of power. But when it comes to issues of inclusion, disability is rather like the Cinderella of the group. Whenever a list appears of things we should be aware of, a disabled person has to stand up and say, well, what about disability? I mean, even though we have a justice group within the Baptist Union, many was the time at Baptist Council when the word disabled people was not included in those who are minorities and marginalised. There are many reasons for that. We don't have the history of liberation, for one thing. Within the disability community, it's so wide. Any one person can't speak on behalf of everybody. That's true of every other group, isn't it? And there is, to some degree, in my experience, a hierarchy of need. Some groups feel at the bottom those with visual impairments certainly do from what I hear. So there is, has been a degree of rivalry. However, I think the tide is turning and certainly in the Christian world this year has seen a number of things happening. Not least a documentary made by uh, a blind journalist about healing and what that's all about and how he feels that healing is an invasive thing and it brought about a, has brought about a huge discussion in the Christian world. Another one that's about to erupt is the whole issue of disability hate crime and its rise and whether the church cares less there are even voices who are saying the church cares less about the disabled people rather than other minority groups, thus bringing about again this hierarchy of need. Disabled theologians are coming forward. There are more of us in church leadership, but it's still woefully lacking. But during these eight years, I've come to realize that the church, maybe unintentionally, is not a place where disabled people feel they belong. What would it take for disabled people to be belonging? Well, I mean, access, getting into the building and all the rest of it, that would be a great start. But that's not really what it's all about. What it's all about is attitude. The Christian charity Through the Roof uh, did a survey which it's repeating this year, five years ago. And when the question was asked, what is it you want the church 
and Christians to do for you? The top answer by some distance was friendship. We want to be people's friends on equal terms. Not access, as you might expect, but relationship. They feel, we feel, let down in terms of relationship. We're made to feel different. The fact that 67% of people feel uncomfortable talking to us certainly makes you think. Many people go to churches, but they're left to sit by themselves and never take part in leadership or decision making. They're never part of the actual process. They are pew fodder who are fetched and taken away again and do their bit. For a long time, disabled people have put up with it and have accommodated to it. They've adapted it and almost made that the norm. But when it comes down to it, if anybody, no matter what they are, who they are, is made to feel excluded or non-belonging in the body of Christ, the body of Christ is committing systemic sin. The body of Christ is committing systemic sin. Something in the structures, something in the theology of the structures, and the practice of the structures is causing us to sin systemically. Whether that's in the theology of healing, whether that's in the theology of what it means to be human and perfect, whether it's the ways in which we read the Bible where disabled people are done to, not in partnership with. All of those lead to systemic sin. Jesus, of course, was no stranger to tackling that. And I want to major on this Luke passage this morning because it brings up things which I think need addressing. If you need a seminar on the practicalities, you need a whole other session. All I'm going to do is to open the can of worms and leave you to live with it. But to get us thinking, I want to think of three things that this passage brings up about the fact that the kingdom of God, the church, needs to be a church for all. So my remarks are illustrated from disability, but they could apply to anybody already covered in the series so far, and anybody who is going to be included in the series yet to come in Inclusive Church. And the first thing is people trump principles. Relationship matters in church life rather than dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's. Jesus came to interpret to subvert how we understood the law. 
And you've got the example here at the beginning of the man with dropsy. And as with many healing stories, yes, you've got the healing story, but there's often more going on here. And the thing that's going on here is about laws and rules. See, Jesus is under attack. Jesus is being considered a rabble-rouser now. And the religious authorities have it in for him. And here's another potential snare. It's a Sabbath, and he heals somebody. And he knows their minds, and he sets them this puzzle, which he perhaps guesses will lead them in silence. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? Well, it leaves him silent. But in case he wants to press the, whole, the point further, he says that you'll go to an awful um, extent to save your animals from a well, but yet you refuse to heal on the Sabbath. You apply the law of God to suit yourself. But what about fulfilling the needs of another? Now, I've grown around farming communities for long enough. I live in a rural area to know that pulling a cow out of a ditch is no mean feat and possibly takes more than one person to do it. To say be healed is hardly any work at all. What a comparison. What a way to point out what happens when principles get in the way of people. So when folks say you're this way or that way because of your sin, Clearly, a misinterpretation of principles has taken place. And I, one of my earliest memories is hearing a conversation where um, two folk in the street were saying, well, somebody must have made him like that. I mean, his parents were a couple of hellhounds, aren't they? You know, they're out every night, blah, blah, blah. One of them caused it. If it wasn't one of them, man, what a curse sort of thing. You are there because of your sin. It's one way principles get in the way of people. Another way is our imagery about perfection. What does it mean to be perfect? I'm not just talking about the body beautiful, and believe me, I don't possess one of those. I'm still proud of it, but I don't possess it. Perfection as morally perfect. Perfection as being the complete thing. And when disabled people speak of ourselves as born this way, or God has a hand in it, that as we are, we are made in the image of God, it does raise eyebrows. Really? Really somebody who can hardly speak or... Somebody who could hardly move or hear or whatever is made in the image of God as they are. That's not perfect. That's not desirable. But people, real people, subvert our principles day by day. 
challenge our theologies all the time. The second thing is that Jesus redefines what privilege means. Jesus redefines what privilege means. So we move to the section of Luke's gospel story where he's talking about positions at a table and people paying one another back for a meal. He was addressing again, he'd been invited to the Pharisee, so he was really hitting them hard. And he knew their propensity to want to be those in power, those who looked good, those who were correct in every sense. And he knew that some of them would ingratiate themselves or want to be ingratiated by sitting at the top table. If only I can be in the place of honour. Some people are in the place of honour because of birth or because of circumstances. But Jesus says, don't fight for the place of honour. Whoever you are, seek the place of dishonour. Now in society, it'd be tempting for people like me to say, right, you privileged lot, I'm going to steal your position. I'm going to grasp power. I'm going to become the oppressor. I can't remember the, I think it's an episode of, uh, that thing with Mulder and Scully in it. Uh, What's it called? X-Files. Where the, uh, where uh, something happens where it's a whole load of blind people take over the world. And it's absolute chaos. As you can imagine. And, And folk, I think, are turned blind in the end, if I remember rightly. The oppressor could be the oppressed could become the oppressor. That's not the answer. And history's littered with that. The othered become the othering. But what we are, what I would say is to follow the Philippians too. The onus is on those with power to give it up. Some people are anarchists, but some of us are. Kenoetists, as it were, kenosis, to give up, to empty ourselves of power and honour, to take the lower place, to give up the beloved power that we possess, and in so doing then give it to another, and let God honour. We should be seeking lowliness. We should be seeking to be those who know the path of servanthood and rejection. We should be in it together, not just in our glories, but in our sufferings. We need to create a society where honour doesn't depend on what sort of person you are, but depends on the fact that you are a person at all. The idea of Ubuntu, I am because we are, is an incredibly powerful statement. It is saying I'm only human because we are all human. My individuality derives from the fact that I'm in relationship with other people. 
some people call that intravigiality, that I'm only an individual because I am, I am in community with others. And then about verse 12 onwards, we've got this rather interesting statement that um, Jesus says, you know, don't invite your friends to the banquet, but invite those who can't pay you back. Now that's interesting because actually blind people can cook dinners. Blind people can even have dinner parties. And in all the three pastorates that I've been part of, our home has been an open one where folk have had meals in it. So actually, in today's world, the disabled could pay you back. Now, either the human Jesus was wrong, or maybe it's to do with the fact that earlier on he speaks about don't just invite your friends. So maybe, just maybe by listing these people who you wouldn't initially invite, he's saying, look at your social structure. Look at your sphere of influence. They consist of people like you. Now go to all those other outsiders and bring them in. You see, you wouldn't invite anybody other than your friends. In other words, he's saying, make them your friends. Give them honor. Make them your friends. The most honored thing a person can have or be is someone's friend. Friend of God, friend of other people. That's the greatest place of honor, friendship. But blind people and lepers and everybody else lived in communities, in highways and byways. They never mingled with the rest of society. So when the guy with dropsy was healed, not only was he healed, but he actually became an acceptable member of society. But what Jesus is saying here is that actually never mind what is acceptable and unacceptable the kingdom belongs to all of humanity and all of humanity need to be our friends so seek out those you don't want to be friendly with or you don't feel comfortable being friendly with and make them your friends there's only one way that 67% are going to get over it and that's to become friends with people like me takes a lot, I know, to break that barrier. But most of us don't bite. So Jesus is inviting us to broaden our view of what friendship means. What real, deep and abiding relationship. So the whole notion of privilege is a notion we need to stamp out completely and become a true society of friends. It's great that the Quakers have that title of themselves, a society of friends. Wouldn't it be great if all of our churches and all of society was truly a society of friends? And finally, you've got the great banquet, which is a, which is a great picture of the kingdom of God. Now, it's an interesting story. And it's a story that's often used in uh, disability matters. The banquet where the deaf, the blind, etc. are invited. And it raises an interesting question. If this banquet, this parable, is all future, 
then Jesus is inviting deaf people, blind people, etc., as they are. So, it begs the question, will there be blindness, deafness, all the rest of it in heaven? Whatever in heaven might mean. That's the subject of a whole series of sermons. But in this kingdom future, let's confine it to that for the present. If you were to ask disabled people, disabled Christians, you'd get a very mixed response. Some people long for the moment when they can see and run and hear. For other people, the fact that they have this disabling thing means that that defines them. So to not be deaf, blind, etc. would be a huge deal and it wouldn't be heaven for them at all. There's no fixed, united view about that. It's a question perhaps we have to wrestle with. But I want to contend to you that there's something about this parable that actually is present. And when Paul was speaking of the fact that we are citizens of heaven, it's a mistake to think of that as a purely future tense statement. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven now. So what is being described in this parable is a vision of what the kingdom of God is like now. What the church is like now. Or ought to be like now, here in the present. And Jesus is making the point that when he was speaking, the movers and the shakers of the faith were a certain type of person. But because of their lifestyles and everything else, they were confronted with so many choices about what to do and to be invited to this celebration. Somebody's land, somebody's oxen, was just too tempting rather than to celebrate with other people. So he says, go out of your way. He doesn't say to them, come to me. He says, you go out to the highways and byways and bring in those who you find there. Bring in those you've excluded, whether it's through fear <coughs> or wrong belief or things that we've been taught. You go to where they are and bring them to the feast. You go to the places where they hang out and bring them to your party. Because they won't come otherwise. They won't realize there's a welcome behind the door. They'll just think it's yet another exclusive club. No. Tell them that they matter. Tell them that they are as much society as you are. They are as much this church as you are. They could make decisions now. I bet it was chaotic, this banquet. All coming in. I mean, in those days, these, pe these people, the blind, the lame, etc., would not have had all the niceties we do today. They smell a bit might not behave properly, they might not know social conventions. 
and all that sort of thing. Never been to a dinner party before. An alien world. All your conventions about what a dinner party would look like would go out the window. But the kingdom of God is a messy business because people are messy. <coughs> we have. It's a wonderfully choreographed order of service today. We know what we're doing. We know where we're meant to be. I, for one, find a service like this one incredibly comfortable. The music isn't too loud. We can sing. There's something reverent about it. The kingdom of God isn't like that. Because society is messy. Because people have made wrong choices. Because people are born differently to what we do. We've got to do a lot of work and adjusting. We've got to realize that our vision of a dinner party might start looking different when we invite others to the dinner. But if we're really going to be the kingdom of God, we must include everybody. There's no opt-out clause. We've got to learn the cultures in which people live. We've got to embrace what other people can teach us. I discovered eight years ago, I thought I knew everything about disability. I realized I knew nothing. I've had to do all sorts of learning you cannot imagine, and I still don't get it right. Even though I've been in the fortunate position, I've been able to speak to many groups of people. I've still got a lot to learn. I'll make a confession to you. Uh, this March, I went to a conference in Oxford on people with learning disabilities. You know, can't communicate. And because I communicate verbally, I thought, this is not going to be comfortable. This really is going to stretch me. And I heard a lot of academic papers at this event. But the most moving occasion was when a group of people from the Lash community took a, a devotion, a mini-service about the fruit of the Spirit, in the way they would do their devotions at Lash. It was very physical. We had to dance around a lot, and uh, my guide dog's a very good dancer, so he really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, and we were, we were uh, you know, hugged and cuddled and said hello to and offered fruit. And you know, when the grapes came round, you know, the hand that, that gave me the grape, well, it was rather wet. I knew it had been somewhere. I didn't want to imagine where it had been. It didn't matter. But when they shared their lives, I felt very, very close to tears. I was humbled at my lack of willingness to be simple. I was humbled by the fact that I'm not the expert, but just, just yet another pilgrim on this journey of learning how to be the people of the banquet. So if I've got a long way to go, so have we all. I mean, I think it's lovely, you know, look at the name Bloomsbury and I think 
Well, that's the sort of place I'd love to be part of. The worship's traditional. Theology's broad. Uh, they're pretty right on. I'm a liberal-minded person. It's the sort of place I'd like to be a part of. But the fact that you have seen it necessary to have a series on inclusivity sends a statement to the church at large to me. The place that some people consider right on still considers that it has a lot to learn. The church at large has got an awful lot to learn. And we have all been put in a position of privilege. Some of us from marginalized groups, others who've been around those of us from marginalized groups long enough to start learning, that we can be ambassadors of another way of being, another way of viewing church and society, a place of celebrating difference, but a place where we know where our oneness is found, and it's found in Jesus Christ alone. Our citizenship is in heaven, is in the presence of God. We are the people of the gospel, the people of good news. That's what binds us together. And amid our differences, we can celebrate a whole mishmash of different ways of being. So let us do that as we go out into the highways and byways, as we see folk of different abilities, folk of different colour, and so on, coming in. May we celebrate what that will bring, the uproar that that will cause, because we are being conformed into the likeness of Christ's body, shaped to be his glorious kingdom. If we want to be part of God's dinner, then we truly have to include all people, all of humanity, into our life. Otherwise, we are guilty, as I said at the beginning, of systemic sin. If there is things about our beliefs, if there is things about our unwillingness, to step out of our comfort zones. We are committing <coughs> systemic sin. But God is gracious to those who come before God and seek God and find God. And so we're going to move into, into a hymn. I'm so glad Dawn picked this hymn. It's my ambition to write a book one day on this hymn, uh, all the different verses of it, uh, uh, as a pilgrim. Um, uh, and uh, it's a very evocative hymn about what it means to be a giving and receiving community. That uh, where do we, I've only just begun getting you thinking. Where do we go from today? We carry on with the dialogue. We carry on being pilgrims. We carry on seeking this God who is an able God and a disabled God, who is the God of all and in all. Neighbor, stranger, let me serve you.
Do please sit. I was rather cheeky when I uh, we were consulting about the order of service because I, I believe I was meant to do the opening prayer and uh, something else. And I said, no, well, no, I think, uh, I think Dawn, your pastor, should do that. But if I could replace it with the intercessions, I'd be really delighted. So that's the reason why I'm doing it, due to my immense cheek. But while I was singing the hymn, something struck me. Uh, before we come on to the intercessions, if I may, indulge a bit of time. Hymns evoke a lot of uh, things, don't they? Metaphors. And we've had two hymns this morning, and a line in the hymn that went before the sermon spoke about the blindness of sin. The blindness of sin. Now, metaphors can be incredibly helpful. And maybe to many of you in the pew, the blindness of sin would seem a very helpful thing. It darkens, it restricts the view. But it also leaves um, a, a message behind that to see is to know, and to not to see is not to know. That's why a lot of people, I think, think we're stupid. Because we don't see it's perceived that we don't know. However, there was a wonderful counterpoint to that in the hymn that we've just sung. I will hold the Christ light for you. I mean, I don't have any lights on. Now that I'm married to somebody who has sight, I had to learn to put lights on. Uh, lights weren't an important part of my world. But I do love the idea of me and everybody else holding this light for everyone else. That I'm not just having the light held for me, but I am holding the light for others. And so part of why I love doing intercession so much is because it's one of the ways that I can hold the Christ's light to the world. Let's pray. Father, I can't help but think that today has been one of those occasions where it's not us that have studied the Word, but the Word that has studied us. A very pre-Reformation idea that it's the Bible that studies rather than us squeezing every ounce of meaning out of it. And these stories of folk being brought into a banquet, the direct teaching of us not seeking honour or prestige, the challenges, where do we put our principles ahead of relationships, the challenge of, is the church an institution or a society of friends? Lord, if we're honest, we find it very uncomfortable to be challenged. And we live in a world where to challenge is an incredibly brave thing to do. But there are times when we must. 
So, Lord, help us to meet the challenges that we've heard. I pray for this church as it continues its pilgrimage of holding the Christ light of inclusion to brother and sister churches elsewhere in our union and in the world. May you show us our darker corners. May you take us out of those places of comfort. May you cause holy disturbance among us. And I thank you for Frank's prayer in the vestry when he said, which is the prayer I pray every week in my vestry, may we be different people when we leave than we were when we arrived. Forgive us when we stop that from happening. When we put up our drawbridges and put on our blindfolds. Forgive us when we are blind to the needs of others. A community like this one where rich and poor rub shoulders so easily. A community that in many senses is hard to define. But because of its eclectic nature gives us a slight inkling as to what heaven might be like. May your people here grow and serve and serve where they live too. The good news that Jesus has invited us all to eat from his dinner. We pray for our country at this time. This time of political upheaval and uncertainty. We pray for our government, our Prime Minister, our leaders of opposition, and for all those who serve us as members of Parliament, because that's what they do, they serve. They are our servants. They are those who are meant to give their lives to us, and so help them to fulfil that duty and not to seek honour. And Lord, if I'm honest, the self-righteous part of me would love to read Luke 14, 7 to 12 to MPs. But Lord, you can get them to listen in other ways. We pray for those in Wheelie Bridge who may lose their homes, a town that may lose its central focus. But in doing so, we recognise uh, places in other parts of the world where this is a daily occurrence. Through flood, through drought, through terrorism, through civil war, through gangland and drug culture, society disintegrates. But may you be the great integrator, the one who brings all things together. Pray for those who have lost lives or whose lives are hanging in the balance and the shootings in Ohio and in Texas and in other parts of the world. We pray for those who are attending places of worship today in other parts of the world where it is physically dangerous to do so. For families who are torn apart because of religious differences, we pray that you would protect and that you would honour them 
as they make those bold steps of faith just to gather with the people of God. And we celebrate with other parts of the world where the church is growing. I thank you, Lord, that you are our great high priest and we can present our requests to you boldly, reverently, emphatically, and pray that your will be done, that your spirit would come, and that you would send us out into your world to be your people and light within it. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.